Hi, my name is Paul Grogan. Welcome to episode two of the all new Gaming Rules podcast. This podcast is an audio version of the Gaming Rules live Q&A from July 2021. That Q&A is already on YouTube and went out live at the end of July. However, a number of my supporters have asked me to create this as a podcast. This is only possible with the financial support of my Patreon campaign. So a huge thank you to all of my supporters for making this possible. And if you like the content that I create, please consider supporting me at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. I also have a Board Game Geek Guild, Guild number 2258. And each month, about a week before the Q&A, I post a thread on there asking for questions. So if you have any questions for me, check out my guild on Board Game Geek. That is the place to ask the questions. But for now, on with the Q&A. I think we are live. Good evening, good afternoon, whatever. Um, just noticed that the chat isn't appearing. There you go, the chat is appearing. Uh, thank you very much for joining me for July's live q and I'm going to be here for about an hour and a half, maybe a little bit longer. We're going to try and keep it to an hour and a half today if we can. Uh, and I'm going to be answering questions that I've been asked in advance on the BGG Guild. And I'm going to be answering questions to people live. So yeah, thank you very much if you're watching this live. Uh, hello to everybody who is watching this not live. If you do have a question for me, then if you're going to stick around for the whole show, please save your questions for now, uh, because I will be answering all of the questions that I've had in advance first. If you can't wait around, just put the word question in capital letters. Uh, Vicky is going to monitor the chat. Uh, she's going to take all of those questions out and put them into the document. Um, so a couple of things before we start. Big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for supporting the channel. Um, yeah, without the support of my Patreon campaign, I won't be able to make pretty much most of the videos that I'm making at the moment. So if you do like the content that I create, I know many of you in the chat are Patreon supporters. Thank you very much for your support. Uh, special news about the Patreon campaign coming uh, later on. Um, yeah, and the BGG Guild. Just a quick shout out. I have a guild on BGG. It's very quiet. There's very little activity on there. Would like to maybe generate some more activity. I keep saying this, but, uh, but it's there. If you want to join the guild, guild number 2258, uh, and you can start any kind of discussion you want, uh, yeah, right. Let's let's move on. Let's start with some of the questions that I've been asked in advance on the BGG Guild. The first question is from uh, Class. First things first, he's curious about the story behind my trusty puppets uh, or stuffed animals, uh, whatever they whatever they prefer to be called. Now I'm just going to make this a bit smaller because I normally have that there. And there's also a cat wailing in the background. It's that time we've shut Thor in, so Thor is now wailing. So if you hear a cat wailing in the background, uh, that is Thor. Right, so it all started in the mid-90s. So in the mid-90s, when I was working for, uh, I think I was working for the civil service as a network engineer. I was driving around the country um, doing network stuff in various computer centres. And I remember being, uh, it was very, very north of England. I don't think it was in Scotland. I think it was the very north of England, um, driving around. And I stopped at a motorway service station. And I saw a, in, 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 in the service station, in the shop, there was this little furry thing that was labelled as a wild, hairy haggis. This is the wild, hairy haggis. So this is haggis. Uh, this is the first furry pet that I got. And since then, I've just collected them. It's kind of been one of those things of mine uh, that I've had, yeah, most of my life. Um, the collection has grown over the years. We've got Charlie and Claude, which are two cats. 
that we bought because when me and Vicky first started seeing each other, we were in a long distance relationship. Um, and we always said that when we settled down and got a house together, we'd get two cats. So uh, basically we bought two cats and we we had one each. And then we went to see each other at weekends. The cats would see each other. Um, so yeah, so this is Charlie and Claude. We got these before uh, we actually got any any real cats. And then of course there's Monkey, who's been on a number of videos. Uh, then there's Colin, the chameleon. Uh, then for my 50th last year, Vicky got me Steve the snail. Uh, and then more recently, a gift from Graham, I got an armadillo. So yeah, there's a, there's a few more of them dotted around the house. But it's kind of, it's just my thing. Now, Haggis has been with me on holiday pretty much everywhere I've been for the last 30 years. I have got pictures of Haggis up the Great Pyramids, uh, <laughs> um, next to Niagara Falls. I mean, literally, I, I've been with Haggis everywhere. I used to travel with him everywhere I went. Um, Prague. Yeah, basically every holiday that we've been on, Haggis, Haggis has been with me. So yeah, that is the that is the story behind those. Obviously, the more recent ones are a little bigger, um, but yeah, it's just kind of a thing. It's also nice because I use them in solo playthroughs when I'm playing against an opponent. Anyway, that's the story behind them. Next question is from Patrick. What is my favourite style of tiebreaker and why? So I've been having a think about this, and first of all. I like games with tiebreakers. Okay, I'm I'm personally not a fan when a game says players share the victory, and that's not because I'm ultra competitive uh, and that I, I I need a winner. It's because in the past I have run at various clubs and things that I've been a member of. I've run tournaments, uh, and at conventions that I've gone to, I've run tournaments, and in a tournament you need a winner. You can't have a shared victory, really, in a, in, a, in a tournament. You know, it's the final of the tournament. So for me, I much prefer games that have tiebreakers in them, just in case you want to run a tournament. So for example, if you, if you can think of a game that you've got where there is no tiebreaker and it just says if players are tied for points, then they share the victory, how would you run that as, as a tournament? You would have to come up with your own tiebreaker. So yeah, personally, I like tiebreaker rules. Do I have a particular preferred style of tiebreaker rules? No, not really. Uh, I just like it when they have one. Right. Uh, Peter is asking me, has it been disconcerting working on the rules of several cold weather games during the recent UK heatwave? Um, yeah, so recently I've been working on games like Endless Winter, which is, as you might expect from, from the name of the game, it's set like, you know, 10,000 years ago, whatever, when it's about survival in the Arctic. It's so loud. Um, and I've been working on Frostpunk as well, which is about struggling to survive in minus 50, minus 60 degrees C. And some of these rule books that I've been working on, I've been sat outside in the garden in the baking hot sunshine at the time of writing them. It has been a little strange to do that. Um, do I wish I had some sort of time machine, uh, sorry, weather machine to make the Columpton weather more temperate? Yeah, so we, we did have a heat wave in the UK last week where it was a little bit unbearable. And at that point, I was working on the rulebook for Weather Machine, and it, I, if I could only just have made it reality, that would have been good. Um, Gareth has got a good question. So this is a question from Gareth. He says, presumably I play Terraforming Mars and other board game implementations via Steam. So yes, I have played the Terraforming Mars app. It's fantastic. I've played Gloomhaven Digital. It's fantastic. The question is, roughly what ratio does my most played board game and my most played video game have? So as an example, he's got 420 hours in Star Realms and 579 hours in Skyrim. So his ratio is about five to seven. 
So I had to think about that. And I had to think about this in the car park while Vicky was getting her second vaccination earlier on this morning. Now, back in the day, I used to play a lot of Magic the Gathering. So for a number of years in the 90s, I played Magic the Gathering. And I dread to think how many hours I spent playing the Magic the Gathering. It, it must have been hundreds. Um, so, you know, but if we pick a board game, a non-collectible card game, what game have I put the most hours into? It's probably Gloomhaven. I've probably had about, including Jaws of the Lion, we've probably played Gloomhaven about 60 times. 60-ish times, so I've probably got about 180 hours logged in Gloomhaven, maybe 150 hours logged in Gloomhaven, something like that. Computer game-wise, many years ago I played a lot of World of Warcraft, to the point where it became a bit of an addiction and ob obsession. And I, again, I dread to think how many hours were spent flying around and farming for hours and hours and hours every day just to get a little tick in a box. At that point, I gave up. Um... So yeah, so that's probably hundreds of hours as well. I don't have any actual numbers for you. I'm just telling you the games that I've spent a lot of time playing. Um, but what about you? What about you in the chat? Do you have a ratio? Do you know the most number of hours you've spent playing a board game and the most number of hours you've spent playing a video game? And how does it compare? Let, let me know in the chat if you're watching this now. Um, right, okay. Next question is... What is my favourite game to teach? Now, I've accidentally deleted who this question came from. So apologies for that. Um, I, what I do is I copy all of the information from my guild and I put it into a Google Doc and I go through the Google Doc and I edit bits out. And I've accidentally removed the name of who asked me this question. So apologies for that. But the question is, what is my favourite game to teach and why? Now, I love teaching games. There are certain games that I enjoy teaching more than others. But one of the games which is one of my favourites to teach, if not my favourite game to teach, is Through the Ages. And the reason why is because Through the Ages is a heavy complex game. And this is this is my this might all sound a little bit big-headed and a bit arrogant. So apologies for that. It's not the way it's intended. Or maybe it is, I don't know. Um, but Through the Ages is a heavy, complex game. I know Through the Ages like the back of my hand, because I've played it many, many, many times. I have also taught it probably about 70 or 80 times and Through the Ages is one of the games that I actually developed a certain style of demoing games for, which I won't bore you with the details here, but because those people who know my style of demoing already know this. If you don't know, I have developed a style of demoing games at conventions and I can get you playing Through the Ages within about two or three minutes using the Gaming Rules Interactive Drip Feed method for teaching people how to play games at conventions, TM. Um, and I have to say, it works really well. And the reason why I enjoy teaching it so much is because I know I'm good at teaching that game. And I know that I can get three or four people to sit down for two hours who know nothing about Through the Ages, and two hours later, they will have been playing the game, and at the end of that two hours, they will know 80% of that game. Now, another way of teaching through the ages is you sit and talk to somebody for an hour and a half and tell them every single rule of the game, right? Which is an awful way of teaching games. Um, and Vlager actually sat in. This was Gen Con about three years ago. Um, Vlager had never actually seen me teaching a game of through the ages. He's heard about it and he's, he's, he's seen me doing it from across the room. But there was one demo at Gen Con about two years ago, maybe three years ago, 
where Vlaja actually came and sat next to me for about half an hour while I was doing this special teaching method. Um, and then afterwards, he actually said to people, um, you know, because some of the people at the table didn't, didn't know who he was. They just thought, who's this random guy <laughs> with crazy hair who sat here? So he introduced himself to the others. Uh, and then in front of everybody, he said that I was the best person that he's ever known for teaching this game. So, you know, that was quite, uh, yeah, I was quite proud at that point. So that, that's why Through the Ages is, is my favourite game to teach. If you want to learn how to play Through the Ages, just let me know. I love to teach it. Stephen asks, what makes a good rulebook? It's a very open-ended question. I like open-ended questions. <laughs> Everybody has their own opinion on what makes a good rulebook. And I've done, when I was developing myself as a rulebook writer, I was asking this question on various Facebook groups and forums and everything else. And everybody has their own opinion. Um, you know, there are some people out there who think, oh, if a rulebook doesn't have an index, it's a terrible rulebook. Well, that's not true. I've read some very, very good rulebooks that don't have an index. Does an index help? Yes, but... It's not essential. So everybody has their own opinion. But for me, if we're talking very, very high level terms of what makes a good rule book is a rule book needs to serve its purpose. And its service, its purpose is that the rule book needs to teach you how to play the game. It needs to have no ambiguities. It needs to have no contradictions. Uh, but as, as long as it does that, as long as that rule book teaches you how to play the game without you having to go elsewhere to ask questions or have any FAQ or anything like that, then the rulebook has done its purpose. Another purpose of the rulebook is be a good place where you can look up answers. Because if you don't remember every single rule about the game and you go, how many points do you lose if you can't feed your people? You need it, The rulebook needs to be written in such a way that you can find that information easily. But as long as it does that, everything else is gravy apparently is what they say. So for me, I like lots of examples. I like lots of visual examples, lots of arrows pointing to things, lots of things like that. But as, as I say, as long as the rulebook teaches you how to play the game without you having any questions, it's it's done its job. Uh, Jonathan, speaking of rulebooks, Jonathan wants to know, can I learn the rules of a game just by reading them? Or do I have to get the pieces out to push them around to see how it works? Now, these days, I can't remember the last time I actually just read a rulebook without having the physical game. Now, I have done that many times in the past, and I have learned how to play a game from a rulebook. So I can do it, but I haven't done it for a while. My preferred method is basically I get the game out, I get the rulebook out, and I literally start learning how to play from the rulebook. I actually do a number of these videos. If you're a patron supporter of mine, you will know this already, but if you're not a patron supporter of mine, what I do is I do a number of behind-the-scenes videos. So, for example, um, last month when I was learning how to play Tekenu, I did a Paul learns how to play the game from the rulebook video in the afternoon. All of that was to prepare for the evening. And now what the public saw was Paul teaching a friend how to play Tekenu, but what I'd done in the afternoon is I'd done this behind-the-scenes video where I learnt how to play from the rulebook and I like that method. I like to learn from the rulebook as I go, move things around, play the game. Um, yeah, I mean, science has proved that most people learn best by doing. Um, although, as I say, I, I can learn a game from a rulebook, but it's only until you actually start playing it that things start to come together. Right, next question. And again, I've, I've deleted accidentally the name of who sent this. It might have been Jonathan. This might have been a second question from Jonathan. Is there a series of books, films, TV, etc., that you would like to see made into a game? 
So this is always a tricky one because some of my favorite books, now I'm not a big reader before you think I've read a million books, but some of my favorite books I don't think would make a good board game. So the Foundation Trilogy by Isaac Asimov, soon to be a film, I can't see how the Foundation Trilogy would work as a game, okay? Uh, David Gemmell is one of my favorite authors. I've read a whole bunch of David Gemmell books. I don't think they'd work as a game. Now, you could loosely make a game and set it in the David Gemmell universe, whatever, one of his worlds. You could, but that's not really a game based on those. So, yeah, there are some of mine that I don't think you can do board game-wise. Um, I always mention Dresden Files. I, I, I'm longing for a day that somebody rethemes the Arkham Horror Living Card Game uh, into the, into a Dresden Files card game, because I think that would be fantastic, which I say every month, but there we go. Um, what else have I said here? That's that's about it. Right, just before we move on, let, let's just have a pause for a drink, and I mention a couple of things. Every month I do a contest, Okay. So every month, as part of this live Q&A, I do a giveaway contest. Vicky is going to put a link into the chat right now. And could you also put it into the description of the video? Because I normally forget that. Okay. All you need to do to enter this contest is you need to click on that link. It will take you to a Google form. Fill in your name, fill in your email address. Uh, put the secret word. And the secret word today is going to be haggis. Right? Haggis is the secret word for today. If you are a patron supporter, please let me know on that form. And basically, at the, at the next live Q&A, I will do the draw. So if you're not watching this live, if you're watching this afterwards and you think, oh, I can't enter, you can. You have basically a month to enter this contest. And all you need to do is fill in the form and you get entered into the contest. If you're a patron supporter, you get two entries into the contest. Uh, so let's talk about the contest from last time. I did the draw earlier on today. Uh, and I'm happy to say that the winner is... Cliffy Scott Williams, who started supporting me recently. So thank you very much, Cliffy, for your support. Uh, you have won the contest. The contest is to win £25 worth of games vouchers from Games Law. So thank you very much to Games Law for giving me £25 worth of games vouchers. Uh, Cliffy has won. Um, and I've, I've contacted Cliffy. I've not had a reply yet, so I'll, I'll send them an email uh, later on. But as I say, if you want to enter this contest, all you need to do, click on the link, fill in the form. The secret word is haggis. Right, moving on. Next question. This is from Brian. Brian says that I often refer to my team when talking about rulebook work. How many people work with me and how do I distribute work? So gaming rules has changed a lot over the last couple of years. Uh, last year was a, a very interesting period of time for gaming rules as a company. Uh, and it grew and it grew, it grew quite rapidly. Now, a lot of things happened last year. Um, I was getting a lot of offers for rulebook work, more than I was able to handle myself. And I had a number of people who I knew who were happy to accept rulebook work. So I thought, well, this, this is great because the company can take on more work. I can effectively subcontract it out to others and the company is growing and everything else. And this, this is what happened last year. Now, by the end of last year, We'd got ourselves into a little bit of a mess for a few reasons. And me and Vicky sat down and we had a good discussion about it. And we decided we don't want the company to go that way because I'm not comfortable in having the gaming rules name or logo on rule books that I personally haven't had time to look at myself. And that was the situation 
last year. Um, there was also the financial aspect of it because you might think, well, hang on a minute, Paul, if you take on five rule books yourself, but then you take on another five, you subcontract out those five to other people, but you take a cut from it, financially, that's good. And you're absolutely right. But at the end of the day, each of those five projects needed managing. And we were spending almost two days a week doing admin, working out where every project was up to, working out who's working on it, uh, allocating the hours, keeping a track of this. And we decided we don't want to do that. We're not admin people. We don't want to do the admin. We ju just want to do the actual work itself. So this year, I've really, really cut back on things. I've been taking on a lot less rulebook work and I've not been passing it out to uh, to subcontractors. Now, saying that, there are still a few people who do work with me. Um, everybody has their own strengths and weaknesses. So, for example, if I if I have a rulebook work that's pretty much done and it's already been edited and it's already been checked, but it needs a, a final proofread, I will send it to the person who I know is better than me at proofreading. Because I'm not a qualified proofreader. I'm an editor. I'm a rulebook writer and I'm an editor. And when it goes to a proofreader, they go, oh yeah, Mr. Letter, this done that. Oh yeah, that should be a semicolon. I'm like, great. Um, and then there's another friend of mine who's really good at certain other things. Uh, and they've taken on a whole bunch of work for various other projects that I'm involved with. But I'm still involved in these projects generally. And yeah, that, that's where we're going. So yeah, I don't know whether you wanted a, an answer about where I saw the company going and what I've been doing with it, but that, that's, kind of, that's kind of it. Question from Mark. Mark said he's heard of the Dresden Files books for years, but after I've been continually mentioning it on every live Q&A, um, he decided to give the books a go. He's really enjoying them and he's on book six. Excellent. Have I read them all? So the first, first answer to that is no. I, well, first of all, they're not all out yet. So the Dresden Files series of books is, I think, going to be about 25 books. There are about 16, 17 of them out at the moment. He had a, he had a few years where he had a break for various reasons. He's back on them now. Um, and I've read up to, I think I'm on Ghost Story. Is it Ghost Story? Yeah. Now, I won't give any spoilers away, but I have read somewhere that Jim Butcher said that Ghost Story was the halfway point of the story arc. So I'm about halfway through. But as I say, not all of the books are out yet. I think there's about 16 or 17 of them available. Um, but I haven't actually read any of them, okay? Because Mark's next question is, are the Audible versions with James Masters doing the audio any good? They are absolutely brilliant. So I have issues with actually reading. Um, so I'm listening to the audiobook. So I haven't actually read any of the physical books. Vicky has. Um, we've got them all. But I've listened to the uh, the audiobooks with James Masters, and they are fantastic. In fact, one of the books, I think it was book, I think it was Ghost Story. Yeah, I think it was Ghost Story. James Masters wasn't available. So they got somebody else to do that. Now, bear in mind, James Masters has done all of the audiobooks for the Dresden Files up to now. He wasn't available to do Ghost Story because he was busy off doing something else. So they got somebody else to do it. And I listened to a bit of that version, and it was good but it wasn't James Masters. So in the end, due to public outcry, and I feel really sorry for the guy who did that other one, but basically they re-recorded it with James Masters. So they are all available now. Uh, James Masters has done the audio. Uh, Richie wants to know, now this is a very cheeky question, Richie. 
<laughs> Vlaja asks me to retheme Mage Knight. What would I pick? And I'm not allowed to use Star Trek. Um, well, first of all, if Vlaja asked me to retheme Mage Knight, I would politely decline um, because I think Mage Knight is the perfect setting and the perfect theme for what it is. If I if I was forced to retheme it, it would have to be in a sci-fi universe, but not Star Trek. It would have to be in a different universe where the Mage Knights were called Mage Knight in space. They were they were they were some weird, strange, powerful creatures or beings who people didn't understand, and they had different motives and everything else. So yeah, I would probably go with a sci-fi feel. But to be honest, I think Mage Knight is the perfect setting and theme already. If you've got any ideas for a Mage Knight re-theme, let me know. And don't say the Wombles. Right, uh, class has got another question. Uh, been getting into Imperium Classics for solo play and been having a lot of fun. Legends is awaiting to be opened. Do I have some favourite civilizations or favourite matchups already? And the, the honest answer is no. Um, I have played Imperium four or five times now with 16 different factions available, I haven't played any faction enough to let you know whether it's my favourite or not. I can say that some of the ones I played I enjoyed more than others, but I certainly don't have a favourite and I don't have any favourite matchups. Um, but this is another question for the chat. If, if you're watching this and you have been playing a lot of Imperium, do you have a favourite faction? If you have, please please let me know in the live chat. Or if you're watching this video afterwards, please leave me a comment and let me know what your favourite civilization is and why. Uh, Mark has got a couple of questions. Mark says, Mark is back into the hobby. He's been back into the hobby for two years. He's finding that many games that he is fancying are not the cult of the new with his playing group. How can he convince his playing group to play a classic game in the middle of chasing the shiny object? And this is a, this is a continual problem that everybody has these days. We are in a time where there are way too many board games coming out for anybody to be able to play them all, okay? I mean, I try to cover a lot of board games, but I can't cover them all. I mean, and other channels, even, even Dice Tower, who, are, who are, have got multiple people working for them, they can't cover all of the games coming out. And there's new games coming out all of the time. And I, for one, get excited by new games even though I've got 300 games in the other room, 400 games, whatever, that are amazing games that I would love to play. But whenever a new game comes out, it's all, ooh, it's new, it's shiny. So there's a, I can absolutely see why you are having difficulty getting some old games to the table because there's always something new, there's always something shiny to look at. My only recommendation or advice is do what I did. So as part of the Patreon campaign, I said that every few months I'm going to do a cult of the old game. And I'm overdue one, so apologies for that. But, um, although I did do Dragon Pass the other day, <laughs> it doesn't count. Um, basically, every, few, every three months, so four times a year, have one night to say, this is the cult of the old night. And you have to play a game that is more than 10 years old or more than 15 years old or something like that. And this is what I do. So as part of the Patreon campaign, every few months I will do a cult of the old I will pick a bunch of old games, I'll put them up to patrons to vote on, and then I will do a playthrough video. And by doing that, it is forcing me to play some old, older games. And I, and I say forcing, not in a bad way. It's not like I don't want to play these games. I'm playing good games. There are some really good old games. What games have we played recently? 
well, not recently, but in the last year that have been Cult of the Old. El Grande, fantastic game. Um, what else have I played? Torres. Torres was okay. I'm glad I've played Torres, but El Grande is a fantastic game. And it, it's a shame when new gaming groups are always just playing new stuff, when there are perfectly, really, really good games, great games out there from five, ten years ago. Yeah, so try try that. That might that might work. Uh, Ray wants to know what's my best general gaming accessory, not specific to one board game, and that is very very simple. It's these things. Okay, it's it's these. Now these are from CGE, uh, and I got loads of these years ago. But these are basically component trays. So any game uh, that has like components or whatever, and Stone My Games did some similar. Um, because what you can do is you can actually, you can store your game components in these, put the lid on, and then you can actually keep that in the box. And then when you set the game up, all you do is you just take that off. Now, I don't do that. Um, I have a lot of these, but I keep these spare to one side. And then when the game starts, I put these on the table. I empty the Ziploc bags into these, and I, I just like components trays. So that, that's my favourite component. But again, let me know what your favourite components are, either in the live chat or afterwards, if you've got a general gaming accessory that is your favourite. There's a lot of good questions here that will make good questions for everybody else. Right, Andrew is asking, what game do you most want to take to the pub to play? Because me and Vicky go to the pub all the time. We're always down there getting absolutely lashed. Um, no, the last time I went to a pub just to have a drink... more than 10 years ago we should do it yeah but why we stay here and have a drink we've got the cats we've got the tv yeah we we don't go to the pub and have a drink we're not pub people um but if i was to go to the pub and i was to take a game with me to play there is only one game which i would take with me and that is just one uh, i think just one is a fantastic game and if you're talking about a game to play at the pub it's perfect because it doesn't take up much space. Um, you can play it with large numbers of people. Yeah, so it would be just one. Right. Um, no, I didn't. Okay, there's a cat right down there. I didn't realise, but Thor, the wailing cat, has come in and he's just settled down on the floor right next to me. Oh, bless him. Right, a um, couple of other questions. Now, this is a big one. Uh, this is from Kenneth, and Kenneth wants to know my opinions on the recent post by Jamie Stegmeyer. Now, Jamie Stegmeyer from Stone My Games uh, does a regular blog. I think he does them weekly or something like that. Um, but his recent one that he did caused a little bit of controversy um, with people. Uh, he talked about paid reviews. Now, paid reviews is one of those topics that always gets everybody hot under the collar because everybody has their own opinions about it. And he talked about that. But he was basically, I think his intentions for the post were good, but I can see why a number of people were very angry with what he posted and, and things like that. First of all, he named a number of content creators who charge for their services and he gave the amount of money that he paid them. Now, if he got their permission to do that, then that's okay. I don't think he got their permission. I'm just guessing here he might have done. And if he did, great. But if one of my clients goes onto a public forum and starts posting about how much money they paid me to edit a rule book, I'd be uncomfortable with that. And I was uncomfortable that that it's not that I'm trying to hide it or anything. It's just 
there's something that felt wrong about that. Now, let me know what you think. You know, when you see an article written by a company that says, how much, I mean, how would Ian O'Toole feel if Eagle Griffin announced publicly how much they paid him for the artwork of a game? That just feels wrong. That, that just, am I, am I wrong in this that I feel it's a bit odd? Anyway, that was my first thing. Um, but generally what Jamie was talking about in his article, and I'll, I'll try and summarise here. But Jamie was arguing that even if money doesn't change hands, board game content creators are affected by all sorts of biases when talking about games. Absolutely, right? As a, as a content creator myself, I am also affected by those biases. I will like Marvel Champions because it's Marvel. I love Marvel, right? So I'm, I'm going to be more inclined for that. If that was... If that was a game that wasn't about Marvel, if that was a game about, I don't know, armadillos in the forest or something like that, I wouldn't enjoy it anywhere near as much. So if it has a theme that I like, I have a bias towards it, okay? There are certain mechanisms in the game that I don't like. I don't like push your look, right? I don't like blind bidding. I don't like traitor mechanics. I don't like hidden roles. Dead of Winter might be the best game ever. I don't like it. So. I already have a bias going into that game that I know I'm not going to like it. Okay, so we, we have all of these biases. And Jamie was arguing that if money's changed hands, people are saying that they're inherently biased. And Jamie was basically counterpointing it with, well, everybody has inherent bias anyway. Yeah, I, I think it's a different thing. Okay, if you give me a game and I do a review of it, and then you give me a game and you pay me to make a tutorial video of it. Personally, my opinion is not changed whatsoever, right? I'm, I'm honest, I'm transparent, I'm open. I won't give my opinion on games that I was generally paid to be involved in. I try hard not to, but it, it's really hard sometimes. Because at the end of the day, I'm a gamer, okay? I'm a gamer like you, I like playing games. And in my tutorial videos, they are bias free because my job is to teach you how to play the game. But in a playthrough video, if I'm absolutely loving it, then I'm, I'm loving it. And, and you can probably see that on my face. I'm not a good actor, okay? So if I'm doing a playthrough video that was sponsored and I'm really getting into it and I'm really, really enjoying it, I can't help that, that's, that's me. I'm not gonna become a robot and, and, and switch off all of my personal feelings. But what I won't do is I won't turn to the camera and say, oh, you've got to go and buy this game, or this game's really good, you should go and buy it. I'll never do anything like that, okay? Because that, that I think, is wrong. Anyway, right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've basically answered it by talking about what I do. It, it's really hard sometimes not to give opinions on games that I was involved in when people say, oh, you've just played Touch and Touch again. Did you really enjoy it? And I'm like, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That was a sponsored video. Oh, damn. I've just said that I really enjoyed it. It's, it's really hard not to. Um, as the board game industry grows, it seems that marketing will become an increasingly important feature of the industry. I think we're already at that stage, Kenneth. We are. In fact, we were at that stage years ago. Okay. Marketing right now is very, very important. And it has been for, for years, right? With good marketing and good advertising, a game can succeed and go to millions or it can absolutely crash and bomb if marketing is done wrong. Um, so yeah, we are already there. 
Um, he says, therefore, apart from receiving money to review games or disclosing whether they have received free games or sponsored by, etc., etc., what else can or should content creators do to ensure that their audience continue to trust their opinions? I, all I can do is give you what I do to try and convince you that you can you can trust my opinions. Um, is that, as I say, I won't openly do a review of a game that I was professionally involved in. People keep asking me, oh, Paul, can you do a review of such and such a game? You know, do, do a review of Lost Ruins of Arnak. Well, I helped to develop the game. You know, I did the official video. I'm not going to do a review of a game <laughs> that I was involved in. Uh, it, you know, I, I can't really do that. Um, but, you know, ask, asking me to give opinions of games which I had no professional involvement in whatsoever, then great. I mean, what's interesting is I did a review years ago of Luna a game from Stefan Feld, which I really like. And then, two years afterwards, Tasty Mineral Games approached me and asked me to do an official how-to-play video for Luna. Was it Luna? I think it was Luna. Yeah, I think it was Luna. And I'm like, oh, well, there you go. I, bro I, I didn't break my own rules. My review video came out two years before the official how-to-play video. But, there you go. I, I actually thought whether I should take down the review video, but, but I didn't. Um, and Kenneth ends with, oh no, there was one thing I wanted to say. What was it? There was one thing I wanted to say. Oh yeah, that was the thing. Um, since this topic of paid reviews or promotional material cropped up, one thing that I have seen on various Facebook groups and social media is a number of differing opinions from a lot of different people. And First of all, there are different laws for different countries. The law in the UK is different from the law in Australia, which is different from the law in the US, which is different from the law in Canada. But also, people's interpretations of the law is different. Okay, now to give you an example, on one of the Facebook groups that I'm on, there are a number of people on that group who, and I'm going to use the word think, that if you received a physical copy of the game, no money, no nothing, just the physical copy of the game for review purposes, then you legally have to put on YouTube that it's paid promotion and you legally have to disclose because provision of that game counts as payment, right? There are some people who think that and they have quoted laws to indicate that. I am friends with people in the industry who replied to that thread who said that they're talking absolute rubbish and the law states, and this is, a U, this is something to do with US law, so I can't, can't speak for anybody else, um, but apparently there is something in the US law that says re receiving a review or sample copy of the game does not count as any payment, okay? But the reason I'm saying this is if you're watching this video either live or afterwards, you've probably got your own opinions of it or you don't care, right? But opinion is divided. It's it's a bit vague. Nobody knows what they're doing. But I also have been told that if you are endorsing or promoting a product, you need to put paid promotion on it for America. Apparently, you don't need to do that for the UK, although some people have said you do need to do it for the UK. Going back to how content creators can address this, and I noticed Luke is in the chat, so I'm interested, Luke, uh, at what you do. Um, because Luke doesn't take any money from publishers. Uh, Luke from The Broken Meeple relies on his Patreon uh, campaign to fund his channel. And I'm a proud supporter uh, of Luke's. 
Um, for me, I wear two hats. Okay, I have the hat where I am, like Luke, I'm a reviewer and a company will send me a copy of a game and I'll play it and I'll talk about it and I can give you my opinion on it. And it is bias free. Nobody has changed hands. But I will always say that I got given a copy of the game by the publisher. And I do that for two reasons. The first one is I, I think it's fair. I, I think if somebody sends me something, I want to say thank you. And also, I want to be transparent. Now, I know a number of other um, content creators who get 10 times the views I do, if not more, who have gone on record and said, as a viewer, you need to assume that every review copy was given for free and that's on you. I don't, I don't subscribe to that. If they want to do that, that's fine. But for me, I will always say whether I got a copy of the game for free not because I have to, not because I legally have to, although some people will say you legally have to, because I just I just think it's the right thing to do. Anyway, there we go. That's um that's that question answered, Kenneth. <laughs> let's have a little bit of a break and do something fun. And let's talk about paid promotion and let's talk about paid sponsorship. Because today I got in the post. We, we went out because it was Vicky's second vaccination jab. We got home. We couldn't park in our driveway because there was a post. There was a Royal Mail van in the driveway blocking our driveway so we couldn't get in. And he was in the car and we drove up behind him and he didn't see us. So we beeped our horn and we were like, all right, yeah. And he was like, all right, OK. Uh, and he said, oh, I've got a package for you. And it, basically what he'd done is he tried to deliver a package, but because we weren't in, he just left us a calling card and he was about to leave. So because we turned up, he then got the package. Now, I'm not expecting anything at the moment. So he got this package out of the car and it was a big box and it was a light box, but it was a big box and it was a light box. Now, apologies for the crinkling that you're about to hear because I have left it wrapped up. But this is one of the most surprising things that I ever got in the post. And I have not opened it. I have saved it for this live Q&A. Right, so this, this is a bouquet of Jaffa Cakes. Now, I've never seen anything like this whatsoever, um, but this is from James Naylor. Uh, James Naylor is a friend of mine. He's become a friend over the last few years. Uh, James is the designer of Magnate, and he's going to be at the UK Games Expo. So if you are going to UK Games Expo this weekend, make sure you check out the booth or the stand for Naylor Games and go and get a demo of Magnate. There you go. So paid promotion. James sends me Jaffa Cakes and I will shill his game and tell everybody to go and see him at UK Games Expo. Basically, if you send me Jaffa Cakes, I'll do anything. Right. Thank you very much, James. Yes, it, it's amazing. Now, J James has sent me it because I can't go to UK Games Expo this weekend. So yeah, talking about UK Games Expo, I am not going to UK Games Expo this weekend. And if I did go to UK Games Expo, James was assuming that lots of my fans and followers would have brought a packet of Jaffa Cakes for me because I like Jaffa Cakes. Uh, so James has just sent me this massive bouquet of Jaffa Cakes to make up for the fact that I can't make it to UK Games Expo, which I was feeling a bit sad about yesterday. Um, so yeah, thank you very much, James, for that. Right, now, moving on to the questions. <laughs> so a question for Melina. 
if I could make the, or find the perfect game, what play elements or mechanisms would it ideally include? Let's not worry about designing the game. So, I mean, things I like, resource management, resource conversion, uh, some input random, randomness, but not output randomness to keep the variability there. Um, mechanisms I like are worker placement and things like that. But yeah, I, it's, it's difficult. I can tell you what game mechanisms I really like, but for it to be the perfect game, what is the perfect game? You know, because years ago, I would have spent 15 hours playing Advanced Civilization. Now, I wouldn't spend 15 hours playing Advanced Civilization. I'd play five different great three-hour games instead. Um, so my tastes have evolved. I don't know what you would class as the perfect game. I, I don't know. But yeah, they, they are some of the mechanisms that I would like. Um, and it wouldn't have push your look, it wouldn't have hidden roll, it wouldn't have traitor, it wouldn't have dice for resolution. Although I've played a few of those games that are quite nice. Um, Adam is asking me, what are my ambitions for the channel? That's a really good question. I mean, I, I spoke about the company earlier on from a, a, a rule book point of view and what I'm trying to do with that. So it, it would be nice to get more views on the videos. There's nothing I can do about that. Um, but the views on my videos, have been on a steady decline now for the last couple of years. Huge thank you to everybody who watches these videos. You know, thank you very much. But overall, the average views has been on the decline for a couple of years. Um, and there are some newer channels getting literally five to 10 times what I'm getting. And they've only been going for a couple of years. So I'd like to get more views, but there's nothing I can do about that. I, I try my best. I try to produce the best content I can. If that's not what a lot of people want to watch, there's, there's not much I can do about that. But what I will tell you is that I am very happy with the content that I'm making at the moment. I have no plans to change the content that I'm making. Now, a number of you who have been watching my channel for the last seven years will know that I don't do as many of the how to play videos because when the channel started, all I was doing was the how to play videos. And that's kind of what my channel got known for. And that's what I was doing. I don't do as many of those now. I do the occasional one now and again, but predominantly I now do live playthroughs, playthrough videos, that sort of thing. I much prefer them. Uh, they are a lot uh, less stressful for me to create uh, and I actually really, really enjoy making them. So at the moment, apart from the number of views on the videos, am I happy with the kind of content that I'm making for the channel? Yes. And the reason why I'm happy about it, and this might sound a bit sloppy, but it's thanks to my Patreon supporters. My Patreon supporters are the only reason why the channel is still going. Uh, I won't go into full details about that, but that's the truth. Um, and not just from a financial point of view. The amount of support that I get from my Patreon supporters, either by comments that they leave me, uh, you know, the Slack channel, every all of that, that helps keep me in a happy place and it motivates me to do more videos. Um, so I'm extremely happy with that. And yeah, keep the support coming. Thank you very much for all of it. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm doing. When we look at what I'm doing this week, and I'm actually just going to take, take a side tangent here from the questions. I'm just going to put an image on screen right now of what I've got planned for this week. Right. So today is the live Q&A, which is what this is. Friday, I'm playing Underwater Cities on Yukata. Underwater Cities is a fantastic game. I'm playing it with two Patreon supporters. 
uh, on Friday afternoon at four o'clock because I can't go to UK Games Expo. And Underwaters is, is, is a fantastic game. So that is going to be brilliant. That video might get 100 views. It might get 1,000 views. It might get 20,000 views. I don't actually care because, I mean, it'd be nice to get the 20,000 views, but I'm playing a great game with some other people. Friday night, Rick's coming round. I'm playing Marvel Champions. I'm so excited about this, like you wouldn't believe. Saturday, I'm getting to play Star Wars Outer Rim, which I haven't played for ages, but I remember being really good. I'm really looking forward to that. Saturday night, Undaunted North Africa. I can't tell you what I think of Undaunted North Africa because I was professionally involved and I did the uh, I did the official how to play video. But I'm really looking forward to playing this game. This is with Brendan, who's over in America. We're playing this on Tabletop Simulator. Sunday, I'm playing a Hex Encounter War game, which is completely outside of my wheelhouse of, of Euro games, right? I'm looking forward to every single one of these videos, right? A whole bunch of people's gonna watch them live, a whole bunch of people's gonna watch them afterwards. But that doesn't actually matter. I am going to enjoy every single one of these. So yeah, that's what I'm planning to do this weekend. Um, and if you're talking about my my sort of ambitions for the channel, if I can be here in a year or two years time and put up another image on screen and say, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm really looking forward to this. This is going to be brilliant. Great. You know, if I'm enjoying what I'm doing, then that that's it. I don't have any big ambitions that I'm trying to turn this into some kind of, you know, financial empire and get other people involved or anything like that. Yeah, right. Next. Um, Brett is asking, <clears throat> he's heard a rumour that there is a terraforming Mars tournament being organised for patron supporters. How would one sign up for it? So yes, Brett, um, there is a terraforming Mars tournament being organised by somebody called Brett for patron supporters. And at the moment, uh, it's reached a bit of a block because there's this guy called Paul, you might know him, uh, but he hasn't yet sent the email out to everybody inviting them. So I will do this tomorrow. I will make a promise right now that tomorrow I am gonna make a patrons, Patreon post um, to all of my patron supporters how you join in the Terraforming Mars tournament. It is for patron supporters only. It'll be for $3 and above supporters, but I will send a message out tomorrow to all of you uh, with details of how you join in the tournament. Because um, Terraforming Mars is a fantastic game, and I can say that because uh, I haven't even been given a review copy of the game. So, yeah, I have a copy of Terraforming Mars, and it wasn't given to me by anybody, and I haven't been paid for it. Sorry, I was given it by Mark as a Christmas present, but I wasn't given it by the publisher. Um, well, I've just had an email from Stronghold Games. They've, they've offered me $500 to say, I think Terraforming Mars is a good game. Terraforming Mars is a good game. There you go. Uh, I think that's how paid reviews work. Um, right, John Sullivan says, I rate Concordia and Hansa Teutonica quite highly. That is correct. I do rate both games highly. Uh oh, Luke's still in the chat. Luke, you might wanna just switch off for five minutes because um, <laughs> I'm gonna talk about Concordia. Um, if I had to make a personal choice between them, which would I choose and why? Concordia. I think both games are very good games, but I would pick Concordia because I think it's more accessible. Hansa Teutonica is a great game, but it's a little bit off the wall. It's a little bit odd. And I played my first two games of it, not even understanding what I was doing. Whereas Concordia, I think is more accessible and more straightforward. John also wants to say, uh, what tips to choosing that particular game? That's why. 
and which expansions would I recommend for each of them and would it be influential in your decision making? So for both of those games, I have played, I don't know whether I've ever played Hansa Chronicle with a different map. But Concordia, I have played with different maps and I have played with one of the expansions. I'm not sure which one I would recommend, but what I would say is that the expansions didn't factor into my decision. When I gave you the opinion of Concordia over Hansa Teutonica, it's purely based on the base game alone. Uh, but I have played a couple of Concordia expansions that were good. <laughs> right, Mick wants to know, what is my favourite Vita Lacerda game for both multiplayer and solo? Now, you might think I'm not going to be able to answer this because I am professionally involved with pretty much everything that Vital Lacerda does. But Mickey's asking me to compare his games, all of his games. So not whether I like his games or not, or anything like that, but yeah. Now, I've not played all of them solo, so I, I'm not sure about your question. If you're saying what is my favourite game multiplayer and what is my favourite game solo, or are you asking me what is my favourite Vital Lacerda game for both multiplayer and solo together? Um, so I haven't played all of them solo, but I will say that my favourite multiplayer game is probably On Mars. Um, now, On Mars is the game of his that I was more involved with. I was a developer on the game as well, but I'm putting that aside. If you, if you don't believe me, you don't have to believe me. But putting my involvement in On Mars aside, and the fact that On Mars is probably his heaviest game, which is not why it's my favourite, but I just think it's great. I, 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 I think it all goes together well, but it's got a bigger learning curve than his other games. And I think once you go past that learning curve, it clicks. And that's my favourite of his games. Solo, I can't really say. I, I can tell you that I wasn't keen on the solo mode for On Mars, but that is because I don't like solo modes with clever, complex AIs, which this game has. It's very clever. I just don't want high maintenance admin solo games for me personally. Um, Mick has also got a follow-up question of, do I have a favourite Breach Mage to play in Aeon's End? And the answer is no. I haven't played anywhere near as much Aeon's End as I would like to, so I don't have a particular Breach Mage. Uh, yeah, I am going to be playing some more Aeon's End at some point. I don't know when, maybe next month, actually. I think I need to play it more next month. Um, yeah. Next question, and this might be from Mick, or it might be from somebody whose name I accidentally deleted again. Sorry for that. I thought there were fewer questions in advance this time, but it's almost six o'clock. <laughs> um, right, so this is a good question, and this might have been from Mick. What game do I think changes the most between the solo version and the multiplayer version? And I hope he's not talking about Vital Lacerda games. I hope you just mean any game. Because there is one that springs to mind, and that is Terraforming Mars. The multiplayer game of Terraforming Mars and the solo game of Terraforming Mars are so completely different. They're more different than any other solo game I think I've ever played. If there is another one that you can think of, please let me know either in the live chat or if you're watching this afterwards, leave me a comment. Let me know what solo game you've got or you've played no, it's a game that you've got or played where the solo mode is very different from the multiplayer. Now, Terraforming Mars, I have gone on record of saying I don't like the solo mode of Terraforming Mars. I think the multiplayer game of Terraforming Mars is fantastic. Brilliant game, one of my favourite games. But the solo mode, 
in the, in, the, in the multiplayer mode, all the cards are balanced. Okay, you've got a weak card, but it's worth three points. Or you've got a really, really good card, like broken, but it's worth minus two points. In a multiplayer game, that's balanced. In a solo game, you don't care about points. In a solo game, you have to terraform on the planet within 12 turns. So a lot of the way that you play the multiplayer game, you play the solo game very differently. Okay? And I don't like playing solo terraforming Mars, where you draw the four cards or whatever, and you go, well, that's rubbish, that's rubbish, and that's totally overpowered. I find that it is based on the look of the draw more. Anyway, that, that, that's my opinion. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a very different game, and I think the multiplayer game is great, and I think the solo game loses all of that. Now, I do play terraforming Mars solo on the app, because the app is amazing, um, I was paid to say that. No. Um, and the reason why I play it solo on the app is because it takes about 25 minutes and I'm learning the cards. So I purely play it on the, on the app just to see the cards, just to learn the cards a bit more. But as I say, in solo, the card balance is completely, completely off. Right. Jimmy wants to know, <clears throat> if you took the same mechanisms as in Distilled, so Distilled doing very, very well on Kickstarter right now, but Jimmy's saying that if you took the entire game, kept it exactly the same, but rethemed it as alchemy, would it draw the same amount of interest? Now, I've been having a think about this today. And my, my initial response to that was, I don't know. But I've actually made a decision. I don't think it would. I think Distilled, if it went on Kickstarter with exactly the same game, but with an alchemy theme, I don't think it would have done as well as with the theme that it's currently about, which is distilling spirits. And I think the reason for that, and you can agree with me or disagree with me, I would love to know what you think, is any game that has a real world comparison is going to do better. There are people who are backing distilled because they like drinking whiskey. If it was about alchemy, they wouldn't have done that, okay? So if you've got somebody, I mean, I, I can't stand whiskey, but if you've got somebody who is a, is a whiskey lover, and a whiskey drinker, and you've got a board game about distilling whiskey, you are going to be more inclined to buy it. So I think that's my opinion. That is my opinion. I think it's done better because of the theme. Right. Brian has got some biscuit related questions. If the Team GB Olympic flag bearer had to be biscuit bearer, had to be a biscuit bearer instead, which biscuit would they carry to represent the team? Chocolate hobnob. Uh, which biscuit do you think should be the official biscuit of the 32nd Olympiad? Uh, penguin. Uh, if you were to train as, Olymp as an Olympic athlete, e.g. if Mage Night became an Olympic event, which biscuits would you include as part of your training regime? I say no more. If you were to recreate the Olympic rings with five biscuits, which five would you choose? So Jaffa Cakes, Chocolate Hobnob, Ginger Nuts, Wagon Wheels and Digestives. Are Wagon Wheels a biscuit? Party rings? Oh, the party rings. Oh yeah, those party rings that you get with the different colours covered in ice. Why didn't you tell me that this afternoon? <laughs> right. Nigel is asking. Now, Nigel always comes up with a, conversa with a, com with a question which is taking me 10 minutes to answer. Um, but this is, this is a shorter question than normal from Nigel. This is, with the COVID situation in England at the moment, the idea of attending a large gathering with strangers from all over the UK 
seems to not sit well with many gamers who would otherwise like to attend UK Games Expo. The, the organisers of UK Games Expo are meeting and in some cases exceeding the recommended precautions. Yet, despite this, the risk of infection is arguably still significant for people travelling to and from Birmingham. Do I personally think that this is the right time to be hosting the UK Games Expo? Nigel says he appreciates that many people's livelihoods in the industry depend on trade shows, but he's asking purely from a public health point of view. So, I'm in two minds about this. Do I, do I think it's right that they are running Expo? Yes. I do. Is it safe to go? That's a personal decision that only you can make. Would I be going if it weren't for the fact that we have a wedding next week? I would absolutely be going. Am I comfortable going to UK Games Expo knowing that the risk of catching COVID is higher than if I hadn't have gone? I'm over that now. We can't beat this. We've got to just get on with our life. So I, I would be going. If UK Games Expo was the day after the wedding, I would be going to it. And if I got COVID, I got COVID, right? That, that's just where we are. I'm still going to be safe. I'm still going to wear masks in shops. I'm not going to be stupid. But I don't think we can hide in our houses anymore and, and not go out. So, yeah, I'm starting. I'm going to start to ease into going to places more uh, as things go on. So, yeah, the thing is, do, do I think it's the right time to be hosting the UK Games Expo? The, the interesting thing is, a week ago, I would have probably answered different to right now because a week ago, if you're interested, the number of people recording uh, being infected on a, on a daily basis has been going up and up and up and up. It's been exponentially increasing in the UK until six days ago. Six days ago, it started to fall and it has continued to fall. Now, they are the stats that I'm giving you from the BBC website. Whether those stats are accurate or not, we don't know because there's a there's a train of thought, there's a conspiracy theory, whatever, that the stats are correct, are actually completely incorrect and cases are actually going up. I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. But my point is that sooner or later, these events have got to start happening. And if they didn't do it now, would they do it next month? To be honest, if I was an organiser of UK Games Expo and I had the option of delaying it by a month, I probably would. But they don't have that option. So many people have booked. So much organisation has to be done around it. As somebody who organises a 200-person convention myself, it's not that easy to just say, oh, we'll just put it back a few weeks. You can't just do that. If they could, they probably would have done. Anyway, good question, Nigel. And again, this is another one. I'm interested. How many people are watching this video live or how many people are watching this video afterwards who are going to UK Games Expo and how many people are not going to UK Games Expo because you don't feel it's safe? Okay, so Luke, you're going to UK Games Expo. And other people, I'm not saying you're wrong, as I say, I would, I would be definitely going. Um, but yeah, if you're not going to UK Games Expo because you're concerned about it, I'm, I'm curious to see how many people, how many people that is. Ian wants to know, we're almost at the end of the questions. Wow. Are we at the end of the questions? No, we're not. There's still loads more questions. I'm going to try and fly through these because time is ticking on and I haven't answered any questions live. How many questions have we had live? Not many? Okay. Well, as long as you're happy with the answers for these. 
So Ian asks me, many games have novel ways to define the first player. What is my favourite and do I follow this rule when playing or do I randomise? So I like silly start player rules. I generally don't follow them. Um, I generally choose randomly. But Mini Express, I used the actual start player rules for that. And On Mars recently, I used the start player rules for that. Um, On Mars is the person who's watched The Martian the most times. Me and Andy had watched it the most times, but he'd read the book, so he won on tiebreaker. So I like silly start player rules. If they're really silly, like the player who can hold their breath underwater the longest, I decide randomly. But if it's like Mini Express is the last person to have been on a train, then I try to use it if I can. Um, Steve Briscoe says uh, he doesn't know if it's his age. He's 65, brackets 27, but he's been playing games most of his life. He started with Battle of the Little Bighorn in 1964, and although rules nowadays are deeper, he finds that he struggles to understand things that should be simple. How would I approach learning from a rule book that looks so daunting, especially with dense pages of words like GMT games, i.e. Combat Commander Europe? Uh, he loves the playthroughs that I do. Thank you very much, Steve. So it's funny you should say that because Combat, Combat Commander Europe is a game which I've tried to read the rule book for and failed because of the walls of text and the front loading of information. It is an inaccessible and inapproachable rulebook. If you think the Combat Commander Europe rulebook is good, tell me why, because I have tried to read that rulebook a few times and can't get past even the, the first few pages. Um, but yeah, it's funny you should say that, Steve, because although I'm not as old as you, I am in a similar position to where you are. My patience and my tolerance for bad rulebooks has gone down over the years. And I'm at the point now where if a game is simply too much effort to learn, I won't bother. Okay. Now, thankfully, I have a, a number of different resources available to me. For example, the game that I'm playing this Sunday is Lock and Load Tactical. And I tried to learn it and it has a 192 page rulebook and 70 tutorial videos. And I'm like, what? And I'm playing it on Sunday. But thankfully friend of mine and patron supporter, Peter Rushton, took some time out, taught me the basics, taught me how to play, and now I feel comfortable. You don't have to read all 192 pages to be able to play this game, okay? So what I'm saying is get help. If you've got a game and you are struggling to learn it, then use any resources you can. Use, use videos, join Facebook groups, join Discord channels, get help from people. But my only advice, and this is personal advice, if you get to the point where you're like, I've tried to learn this game, I'm still struggling, I haven't been able to find any good videos, I'm not getting any help from the community, put the game away and move on to another game. Because life's too short to spend it on, you know, games where it's hard to learn. Rob says, do I shower? Yes. Do I use soap? Yes, I do use soap. I use soap rather than shower gel. I just much prefer having a bar of soap rather than... It's the hassle, really. Shower gel, you've got to take the thing off, open the thing, squirt a bit, close it up, put it back. Then I need a bit more. Getting it off, it's just hassle. Soap, for me, is a lot easier to do. So, yeah, I use soap. Rob says, and this is an advert here, uh, Dr. Squatch has Star Wars-themed body soap. So, um, yeah. If, 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 if I, if I want to get some Star Wars soap, Rick might like this. Um, but yeah, there is Star Wars soap. There you go. Uh, Neil is asking... Oh, this is, this is Neil asking about Imperium. 
So Imperium, the game, which has just come out from Osprey Games a month or so ago as Imperium Classics and Imperium Legends, was originally on Kickstarter three years ago, I think, under a different publisher. It was NSKN. NSKN had the rights to publish Imperium and tried to on Kickstarter and it failed. And then the rights moved on from NSKN to uh, Osprey and Osprey have got all new artwork for it and have done it up and everything else. Do I think that this will have an impact on other games? E.g. will a few more designers and companies that would have gone down the Kickstarter route go to retail instead? I don't think so. Might some decide that they should develop a game significantly further than they might have done before they go to Kickstarter? I don't think so. Um, and as part of Imperium's success, is it built off the wide variety of factions which were more than twice as much in the Kickstarter? So personally, and I'm saying this even though I have a good working relationship with Osprey Games, I don't, and I'm not a marketing person, but I don't think they should have put out both boxes for Imperium. Because 16 different factions that all play asymmetrically is completely, it's a slot. I think if it was me, and you know, as I say, I don't run my own board game publisher, I would have put out Imperium Classics with eight different factions, and then maybe three or four months later, or maybe six months later, I'd have put out Imperium Legends. But, as I say, that's just my opinion. But it's an, it's an interesting one that Neil's talking about, is the fact that the game was on Kickstarter and it failed. It then went to a different publisher, who then put it straight to retail, and he's saying, is that going to have any impact on other games? I honestly don't think it is. I think the reason it went straight to retail is because Osprey Games don't do Kickstarter. Okay, if Osprey Games did Kickstarter, they'd put it on Kickstarter. So it's just the fact that it changed publishers. Um, but it is nice to see that there are publishers out there who don't use Kickstarter. Nothing against any that do. Um, who are still successful. Next. Uh, do I like getting a large bunch of games at once or do I like to spread them out? I like to spread them out because I have... I have bad feelings about games that I've got that don't get played. So if I was to get five games, then I will play one of them and I'll have bad feelings about the other four. It's just, it's one of those things. Um, if I get one every few weeks and I can manage to play one every few weeks, then no bad feelings. So that that's me. Um, Benny's asking, this is the final question that came through from the BGG Guild. Ben Filler says, he's heard many people say how the hobby has changed massively in the last five years. Where do I see it in another five years? To be honest, I think more of the same. I think the growth that we've had in the last five years and the, the, the popularity because of board game cafes and getting more games appealing to a wider audience um, and more games having themes that are more family orientated, um, you know, games like Wingspan, for example, just to quote one, uh, I think I think that's just going to continue. I I don't I personally don't see any other big changes coming to the hobby or the industry for the next five years. I mean, we've got to get over the current shipping crisis. I think that is starting to hit home now, uh, and I think that's still going to have an impact for quite a while. Okay, that is the end of all of the questions that I got in advance. So I'm going to take another short break to say. Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 2258. Vicky's going to post a link now. If you are not a member of my Board Game Geek Guild, please join. But don't just join, you need to click on the little subscribe button. If you don't click on subscribe, you will be a member of the guild, but you'll never see anything from it. So please subscribe to the guild. That means that you will get notifications whenever anything gets posted, which is, which is very little. 
But if you're on the guild and you want to start a conversation about anything, feel free. You know, if you, if you want to start a topic or a conversation about anything, put it on the guild. I will try and join in as well, but you can get opinions on uh, various things on there. So yeah, Board Game Geek Guild, and that is where all of these questions came from in advance. What else do I want to talk about? I want to talk about the contest again. So Vicky's going to put another link in the chat. This is a link to the form for the contest that I'm running right now. If you are watching this video either live or afterwards, click on the link in the form. It's also in the show notes for the video. It'll take you to a Google form. Fill in the Google form. The secret word is haggis and you could win £25 worth of games vouchers from Games Law. Thank you very much to Games Law for supporting me by giving me these £25 worth of games vouchers. I don't get paid anything myself. Um, I just get given these vouchers, which I then give away to somebody uh, here. So yeah, if you are a patron supporter, you will get two entries if you fill in the form. If you're not a patron supporter, you still get one entry. Um, so generally speaking, it works out that 60-70% of the time it is a patron supporter that wins, but sometimes it's not a patron supporter that wins. But yeah, if you're watching this, um, then yeah, feel free to enter the contest. What other stuff did I want to talk about? Um, I wanted to talk about what I'm doing this weekend, which I did. Um, let's go on to some of the live questions. So if you've been asking some questions live, I'm now going to get to those live questions, which are, oh, I've gone all the way back to page 65. Here we go, live questions. First one, the status of the Terraforming Mars Patreon tourney. I've mentioned that one, that's been answered. Andrea said, uh, never got to ask me how I came to grow chilies. Yeah, so this is, um, I'll try not to cry. I'll try not to get too upset. So, <clears throat> um, how many years ago was it? Eight years? Eight, eight to 10 years ago, we were in a garden center and the garden center had a reduced section of plants that were, you know, mostly dead, that they were selling off for like 50p. And there was a chili plant and we thought, well, it's 50p. The plant's pretty much dead, but it was full of chilies. So we thought, well, we quite like chili, so we'll just buy the plant, take all the chilies off, and we've got a load of chilies for 50p. Let's do it. So we so we did that, okay? But the plant the plant died. The plant was really, really in a bad state, so the, the plant died. Now, one thing that I do, we have a lot of house plants, okay? And one thing that I do is I'm quite lazy about getting rid of old soil. So the soil that this chili plant was in, so it came in a plant pot, and I thought, well, 50p for the chilies and a plant pot, great. I didn't throw away the soil. Obviously the plant had died, so we took the plant out, threw the plant away, but I used the soil when I was repotting one of my other plants. And the other plant did well, and then about a year later, maybe two years later, something started growing next to it. We're like, well, what's that? And we had no idea what it was, but we left it because it was growing and we didn't know what it was. And for the last eight years or seven years, we have had a huge chili plant that gives us chilies constantly. Okay. And what must have happened is there must have been some seeds in the soil. And because I didn't throw the soil away and I just put another plant in the pot, we ended up growing our own chili plant. That chili plant is no longer with us. And I'm a bit sad about that um, because it's kind of my fault and we're going to go and buy a new chili plant. But anyway, that, that's how we ended up growing chilies. It was sort of by accident, but it's a really cool story. 
And whenever anybody came round and we showed them the chili plant, we told them the story. And I can't tell that story anymore because that, well, I can tell them the story, but that chili plant is, is gone. Um, right. Mr. Chewbag says, what is my favourite direct in, uh, player interaction conflict Euro style game? Oh, gosh. I'd need to think about this. So. My favourite Euro style game. That has direct player interaction. Now, he's saying direct player interaction stroke conflict. Because I love Kalos or Kalos 1303, and Kalos has direct player interaction. It doesn't have conflict, but it has direct player interaction. So they are my favourite ones. I much prefer Euro games that have this real direct player interaction that aren't necessarily about attacking each other, but they are absolutely, their player interaction is high because of the things that you can do in the game. You know, using other people's buildings, moving the provost about. If you're asking for what is my favorite Euro style game that has conflict, I might have to get back to you on that one because I'm trying to think if we're talking a Euro style game that has conflict. Somebody, somebody give me some ideas in the chat of, of a Euro style game that has conflict that you know I like. Because I'm looking at the shelf over there and Eclipse is there, but that's not a Euro style game. Eclipse has dice for combat. Axes and Allies has dice for combat. Most other games with conflict have dice for combat. So yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, Attila says, what do I think about Distilled? How much you liked it? Well, going back to what I said earlier on, I actually produced, the videos that I produced for Distilled were sponsored videos. Dave Beck actually approached me about a year ago and asked me to write the rulebook for the game. Uh, or asked me to get involved in the editing. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to take the work on due to uh, other workload, but Dave's been a fan of mine for, for a long time, so he asked me to create some videos for the game uh, as part of the Kickstarter, and they were sponsored videos, so I can't really give you my personal opinion on the game. All I can say is watch the videos that I've done, and hopefully they will help you decide whether the kind of it's the kind of game for you. Uh, Caroline is in the chat. Hi, Caroline. Hello to you and family. What are my favourite battling games for two to three players? Okay, so this is a similar question. This is to appease a 14-year-old who doesn't want to play Euros, who just wants to battle. Right. Now, is this... Is this... This isn't Ronan. Is this your other son? Not that that matters, but yeah. A 14-year-old who doesn't want to play Euros, who just wants to battle. Okay, so... This is not a Euro, but I actually quite like uh, Battle Law 2. And potentially, by extension, you could move on to Memoir 44 as well. Um, Memoir 44 is a very well-liked, very well-respected game. It's very much dice for resolution. Uh, it has a World War II theme. But Battle Law 2 is a fantasy version of it. And one of the reasons why I like Battle Law 2 is not only have I painted all of the miniatures for the game, so it looks really nice, but it isn't just so many of these old school war games are kill all of your opponents, right? And, and Battle Law 2 is not that. Battle Law 2 has a really clever mechanism for how you create the map and set objective points. And the idea of the game is to control the objective points. Now, you have to kill the opponent's units in order to get control of those areas. But it isn't just a your objective is to kill the enemy. Um, 
So yeah, but I mean, again, this is a really good question for the guild. So Caroline, if you're on the guild, post a question there. If you're not on the guild, join the guild, post a question there. You'll get loads more replies from lots of people, I hope, um, that aren't for me. So Caroline is looking for battling games for two to three players. It also depends how complex you want. Because if you want to go down the Cloudspire route, then Cloudspire is a battling game. But yeah, uh, Klaus wants to know when the Maracaibo Uprising expansion is coming out. I do need to chase that up um, because I was supposed to be doing some video coverage for it. And I've been told it's going to be soonish. So I do need to chase that up to see uh, to see because I'm getting a Gaming Rules promo card, uh, which will be given out to Patreon supporters at some point in future. Because uh, I really do like Maracaibo, so I'm really glad. And I've, yeah, I've got to know Alexander Fister over the few years uh, that I've known him. And uh, I do like a lot of his games. Big fan of his. Um, yeah, Maracaibo expansion coming out soon. And I do need to follow up when that is going to be coming. Right. David is asking, uh, my opinion on folded space solutions. Um, so yeah, folded space do inserts for um, games. They're very popular. They do really well. And I can see why. So the folded space inserts, for those people who don't know, Google it so you can see what they look like. But what they provide you is a very cheap, lightweight insert solution. Whereas most other inserts are wooden and are therefore quite expensive. So folded space, they're a lot cheaper and they're a lot lighter. Because this is another problem with wooden inserts. You put them in the box and your game is now a lot heavier. Um, whereas the folded space ones... Uh, so I, I, I'm going to say I like them but I personally don't use them. I like them because they are an alternative to the heavier, more expensive inserts. Um, you need a bit of glue to put them together, which is which is fine. You, you, if you snap them together, then they will fall apart, but they're really, really easy to put together. You can just get one really simple, um, really simple to put them together, a bit of PVA glue, really, yeah, really, yeah. Um, but I have a problem with all inserts, okay? Not just folded space, but every type of other insert in existence, apart from the ones from game trays, okay? Which is one reason why I generally don't use inserts, is when you've got inserts and you put in the cubes into the insert, you then can't get them out. It's not my stubby fingers, but with all of these inserts, I find it very difficult to actually get things out. So for example, you've got You've got an insert and you put the cubes in it and all of the cubes fall to the bottom and they make a nice lattice grid. You now can't get any of them out. So what I end up having to do is I take it and I turn it upside down and I put the cubes on the table or in one of these. So for me, I'm a Ziploc bag person. I'm a fan of Ziploc bags. I have my games in Ziploc bags. Maybe inserts save setup time for you. I, 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 I don't know. But yeah, if you like inserts then definitely look at folded space as a solution. But as I say, for me, I'm not an insert person. The inserts I do have are ones where I was given them as uh, promotional ones by the publisher, uh, by the producer, by the manufacturer to show them off. So I've got some from Meeple Realty. I've got some folded space ones. Uh, I've got some for me Raptor. Would I personally go out of my way to buy an insert myself? No, I wouldn't. And that isn't anything against anybody's inserts. It's just... I'm not a big insert person. Right. 
Harry wants to know, do I have any plans to collaborate with Ricky Royal in future? That is a very good question, Harry. Um, it, it <laughs> so I haven't told anybody this yet, but Ricky emailed me a couple of weeks ago and said, when's a good time for him to come down so that we can do a video together, okay? We haven't got anything planned yet because I'm waiting until after the wedding, but maybe in August, we're going to arrange a day where Ricky's going to come down. Now, Ricky lives about two hours away. I've been wanting him to come on the channel. I've been begging him to come on the channel for about two years. Um, but yeah, he said he'd, he'd come down and we'll do something together. So that is going to happen. Watch this space. James says, what's the oldest game in my collection that I haven't played? If you remind me later, James, I can go and get a photo of it. So the oldest games in my collection, I have a few games in my collection that were given to me by people who had them who didn't want them anymore. And I have some very old games in the attic from, I'm just going to look it up. I think it's called Valley of the Five Kings, Valley of the Kings. No, that's a, what's it called? I'm going to look it up on Board Game Geek now. It's a very old, it was either a Games Workshop game or it was like an SPI or an Avalon Hill game. I've also got God's Fire. Oh, God's Fire is in the attic. God's Fire is from 1976. So there you go. I'll say God's Fire. 1976 it's from. It's in the attic. I've never played it and I will probably never play it because it's very, very old school war game. Um, but it does have a very cool method for um, determining. It, it's got a 3D representation. Jeff Engelstein has played it. And I think he says it's quite good. Um, Monica says, how many games have I played that include beverages? I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. But I, I, I mean, I can't think about any. Obviously, I've played Distilled. What other games have I even owned where there is a drink? Yeah, I, ca I can't think, Monica. Ask me later on. No, Gumshoe is 1983, I think. So, yeah, I don't know. How many games have I played that include beverages? Not sure. Uh, Scott is asking, what am I doing instead of going to UK Games Expo? <clears throat> I have answered that. There you go. That's what I'm doing. I'm playing all of those games and more, probably. Because I know me, I'll get into these games and I'll be like, oh, I want to play more, I want to play more. Um, so, yeah, so ju just a quick... Um, promotion of the Patreon campaign. I mentioned the Patreon campaign early. Um, oh, Scrumpy. Yes, Scrumpy. Um, Patreon campaign. So as well as supporting the channel, I do a number of extra videos. So these videos here, they're all the ones that I'm doing that are public. But in addition to that, there's going to be some extra videos that I do for Patreon supporters. So tonight at eight o'clock, I will be playing Marvel Champions, but it won't be a public stream. Why won't it be a public stream? Two reasons. Uh, the first one is, I haven't played Marvel Champions in a very long time. I am very rusty on the rules. The video tonight will be basically, Paul relearns how to play Marvel Champions. It's not the kind of thing that I want to go public, because it'll be me not knowing what I'm doing, making an idiot of myself, uh, and yeah. But the reason I'm doing it live for Patreon supporters is because I like to give something back to my Patreon supporters who support me. Without my Patreon supporters, this video isn't happening. The channel isn't happening. Um, so as a thank you, I like to give back some more, some of these behind the scenes videos 
where I basically play games and relearn them and everything else. But actually, they're really good fun. Doing these videos privately is a lot less stressful than doing them publicly. Um, and I find them very enjoyable to do. So yeah, so that's what's happening tonight. Anyway, back to the questions. Uh, Harry says, have I thought about doing a gaming rules on Warhammer game, games Age of Sigma or 40k? So I have, but here's, here's the thing, Harry. Um, 10, 15 years ago, I was a Euro gamer and I didn't play anything other than Euro games. As time has gone on, I've been evolving and you may have noticed that game there. I'll put it up again. Lock and Load Tactical Digital. That is a hex encounter war game from 20 years ago with a 192 page rulebook, right? Most people wouldn't expect to see a game like that on my channel. So I'm branching out and I am covering a number of other different types of games. The problem is there are too many games and I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to cover all of the Euro games that I want to cover, let alone branching out to other things. So at the moment, I'm branching out into, uh, into Hex Encounter War games, and there's a number of those that I want to look at. Conflict of Heroes, uh, No Retreat. Uh, I, I want to play more Battle Law 2. As I say, I have a fully painted set of Battle Law 2. At some point, maybe in August, I'm going to get somebody around and we're going to play Battle Law 2 because I just want to play it again. And I've never played it since finishing painting all of the figures, which is which is ridiculous. Um, as for whether I'm going to branch out into things like Warhammer Age of Sigmar, never say no. Um, and a friend of mine, Ben, who actually came around and did the War of the Ring game with me, he's a Warhammer player. So he has Warhammer armies. If it's something that my patron supporters want to see, then may maybe I'll do it. Do I have much interest in doing it myself? Not sure. I, I do it for a bit of fun. But I don't think, I, I'm not one of those uh, miniature war gamers. I like the idea of Hex Encounters, but I have issues with miniature war games that aren't uh, based on a Hex map, which is, yeah, that's a longer story. But yeah, I've, I've thought of it, but yeah, no plans to at the moment. Board Game Trucker wants to know what's my feelings on board game community at large at the moment. Um, that's a very, very wide open question. Um, I mean, for those of you who don't know, I, I left Twitter a month, two, two months ago now, uh, which is one of the best things that I've ever done. Um, because, eh, yeah. Twitter is one of the most toxic places. Going on Twitter and seeing people literally shouting and arguing at each other and hate. I mean, people who I know, people who are friends of mine, getting involved in these arguments where it's, oh, this person said that, oh, this person's disgusting, this person did this, this person did... I haven't got time for that. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. We need to be pulling together as a human race, not publicly attacking people. Um, I mean, it happens on Facebook groups. It happens everywhere else as well. Um, but I found that it was happening more on Twitter than anywhere else. So yeah, the board gaming community is probably the same as it was a year ago. Um, parts of it are really good. And the parts that I normally interact with are generally really good. But everywhere you go, there are people wanting a fight or, or jumping on every opportunity to basically pick holes in something that somebody said and then get the mob attacking them. It's, yeah, I, I try and step away whenever things get hostile. And you may notice that I don't really go on and start posting my 
personal opinions on things everywhere because it's just there's no point you're just going to get attacked by everybody you can't do anything right um jill says what's the strangest topic for a game that you can think of or would like oh that's a good question jill another good question for the board game geek guild yeah that is a that is a really good question for the guild about the strangest topic for a game that you can think of strangest topic for a game i mean okay i'm going to mention one now and i'll i i will mention that i didn't like this game we played it we didn't like it we didn't want to play it again and it is the troubled life of billy kerr but the theme is if you're talking about a strange theme as in it's not strange as in bad and weird but unusual the theme of the game was really good. There's a guy called Billy Kerr, he's in hospital, he's in a coma, but he's had a really troubled past and you are working and you've got to try and help him recover, but you've also got to try and piece together his memories of his pre... It's a great idea for a theme. As a game, we really didn't like it at all. Um, but theme of the game was really good. So yeah, let, let me know what you think in the live chat now or maybe start a thread on board game geek guild um, about the strangest topic for a board game yeah that's the first thing that comes to mind for me uh keith's in the chat hi keith he's about to start the under falling skies campaign do i know anybody who has successfully completed it yes yes i do uh it is possible um and you can always tweak the difficulty if you're if you're not doing well. But yeah, yeah, enjoy that. And next week, you will have the Columpton promo tile. Um, yeah. White Swan says, where can I find where other local gamers are? You're a novice and nobody to play with, although Gloomhaven has got you through the lockdowns. Right, well, I'm glad Gloomhaven's got you through the lockdowns. So um, it depends where you are. Where are, you know, if you're in the UK, then let me know. Um, but... Facebook groups, for a start, there are many big Facebook groups out there. Uh, and those Facebook groups, you will be able to find hopefully similar players there. There's also Board Game Geek itself. I believe that there is a way on Board Game Geek um, that you can do that. But yeah, Facebook groups uh, and, and Board Game Geek uh, guilds or, or groups and things like that. Um, but yeah, if you if you're based in the UK, then 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 let me know. Uh, I'd also say my Slack channel. If you're a patron supporter, you can join my Slack channel. Um, but the, it depends where you are. The chances are of you finding somewhere if you live in the middle of Russia, um, possibly not. Um, right. That's that's the end of the live questions, and it's six thirty. Wow, we made it to six thirty. Gosh, I'm happy to stick around for about another five minutes. Uh, yeah, regional forums on BGG. In fact, when I moved away from Hertfordshire, when I moved to Taunton, so this was 2007, so 16 years ago? No, 14 years ago. 14 years ago, I can't add up. 14 years ago, I moved to Taunton from Hertfordshire, and I found Onboard Game Geek. Um, or I posted on Board Game Geek, or I found something on Board Game Geek about gamers in Somerset or something like that. And I got in contact with a guy called Derek, who I'm still in contact and friends with now. Hello, Derek, if you are watching this. 
Um, yeah. So, yeah, Board Game Geek. Oh, you're based in Lancaster. Right, okay. So, yeah, as I say, there are, there are Facebook groups, there are UK Facebook groups, or if anybody is watching this who is based in Lancaster, or, or nearly, it depends how far you're willing to travel, because I've got friends in Preston. Um, I know a number of gamers in the Preston area. Um, but uh, yeah, it also depends if you like doing online gaming. <clears throat> because for me, I like the idea of playing a board game online using either Yukata, uh, Boitageur, Board Game Arena, and talking to people on Discord. That for me, I'm quite lucky in that that is almost as good as having people around, okay? It's never going to be quite as good as having people around, but it's good enough for me. Um, and I get a lot of enjoyment. Quick plug again. Let me just look at what I'm doing on Friday. Friday, four o'clock, I am playing Underwater Cities on Yukata with Graham and Stevie, right? I am going to enjoy that game almost as much as if, as if they come round and we set the game up. But Graham's in London and Stevie's in Norway. So they, they can't just pop over to play a game for a couple of hours. So the online gaming for me, whilst talking to people on Discord, is great. I feel that I'm playing a game with them, as I say. So yeah, you can do that. There's a number of ways to play games online. And if you want to drop me a message, uh, either on Facebook or drop me an email, uh, I'm more than happy to uh, help you out. Or, as I say, Board Game Geek. Assuming you are on Board Game Geek, and if you're not on Board Game Geek, then head on over to Board Game Geek uh, and go to guild number 2258, and you can just drop me a geek mail or something like that. Basically, I want to try and help you, and somehow we will find you extra players, because there's definitely people in the Lancaster area who play board games, and yeah, we, we, can, we can help get you in contact with them. But as I say, um, you know, Ricky's saying, yeah, if you, if you, I'm not trying to persuade you, but if you did become a patron supporter, you have access to my Slack channel. The Slack channel has got a large community of people who organize and play games with each other uh, online, including this weekend. Those people who can't go to UK Games Expo this weekend, some of them are meeting up and playing games against each other online, which is going to be really nice, nice to see. Um, right. Any other questions? No other questions, which is good. So... What are we going to talk about for five minutes? So Marvel Champions tonight. Um, Mark has built a deck for me. Uh, he's built me an Ant-Man deck. And I'm going to be playing Ant-Man tonight. I don't know if I'm going to be playing against Rhino, Claw or Ultron. Um, I will let my patron supporters decide. Uh, yeah, hit the like button. Definitely hit the like button. Uh, again, if you're, if you're watching this back afterwards, if you're not watching this live, please leave me a comment. And just let me know if you watched it. Uh, about 1% of people actually do. So thank you very much to the 1% of people who leave me comments. Oh, there was one thing I was going to say. <clears throat> There's one thing I was going to say. Um, and this is related to the Patreon channel. I have just reached the 700 supporter milestone. Okay, so right now, at the time of this video being recorded, I currently have 701 supporters on Patreon at various levels. Some of them are at just the $1 level, some of them are at the executive producer level. But right now I have 701 Patreons, which is amazing. Thank you very much for your support. And I said when I got to 700, I was going to start doing something new. So now that we are at 700, something is going to happen. Um, and I'm, I'm going to, I've already spoken to somebody about it today, so plans are already in motion. But here's what's going to happen. 
the monthly video logs and the monthly live Q&As. So this, this video right now, this live video right now, and my monthly video logs that I do are going to be converted into a podcast. Now that doesn't mean that they're going to disappear from YouTube, but there's going to be an audio version of the video log and the live Q&A, and it's going to be turned into a podcast. So basically at some point in the nearish future, there will be a gaming rules podcast coming to your iTunes, Stitcher, whatever. It's going to be twice a month uh, and it's going to be the live Q&A and it's going to be the video log. A number of people have asked for it, but I'll be honest with you, I don't have the time to do this myself, right? If I had the time, I'd do it. But by reaching 700 supporters, the additional financial support that I get by reaching 700 means that I can pay somebody to do it. So this is the plan. Uh, I'm going to pay somebody to do all of this for me. Now, I'm, I'm still going to have to be involved a little bit. I'm still going to have to create the MP3 files and send them to them. But the idea is that I will pay somebody to upload these to whatever service we decide to use. Um, thank you very much to Oliver from Tabletop Games Blog for his help so far uh, in helping me work this out. But that, that's what's going to happen. Now, patron support might drop. Okay, this time next week, I might only have 690 supporters because patron support does go up and down. But right now I'm, I'm at 700. And if we, can stay, if we can stay at 700, then I'm going to keep doing it. So yeah, there you go. Will Vicky be on the Gaming Rules podcast? No, no. So the Gaming Rules podcast will basically be an introduction from me saying, hi, this is Paul Grogan. Welcome to the Gaming Rules podcast. This is an audio transcription of the live Q&A from July 2021. Uh, this podcast had been made possible thanks to the support of my Patreon. If you enjoy the content that I create, please consider supporting me on Patreon. And now, on with the show. And then it will be the MP3 file of this, basically. Um, so yeah, so that's what it is. Uh, I also have an idea for what I'm going to do when I get to 750, but at the current rate of growth, that's going to be this time next year. Okay? Um, so again, I'm not going to uh, my, the idea is when I get to 750, and this is again some crazy idea that I had, but it's going to take ages to do it, um, is I'm going to rate my entire collection. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my entire collection into BGG. Now, most of it is in BGG, but it, it's wrong. I've got some games on BGG which I don't have anymore, and I've got games which aren't on BGG. And then I'm going to do a live video where it basically splits all of my entire games into two columns and I compare side by side and I pick one, right? And then we go through to round two and then it's going to take days. It's going to take, it's going to take ages to do. So I think that's probably what I'm going to do when I get to 750. But as I say, it's, it's at the current rate of growth, which is about four or five people new a month. It's going to be next year before we hit 750. Um, yeah, we, we will see. Uh, right. Yeah, so the whole thing about the podcast is a lot of people said, Paul, we would love to listen to your live Q&A, um, but we can't watch it on you. You know, a lot of people listen to podcasts and a lot of people go out walking or driving and they have podcasts lined up that they listen to. And because I don't have a podcast, it means they can't listen to me. So that, that, was, that was the idea. That was the idea. Um, question asked earlier. I've seen it in the chat. This one from MU Jedi. Or have you got another one? 
Okay. Um, if I know, with Kickstarter games, do they set up shipping early before the price increase or after production is complete? I don't know. It really depends on the publisher, to be honest. Um, and obviously shipping at the moment, I mean, it's really hard. The, there are a number of publishers that I've worked with on games in the last six months to a year, and I'm reading their Kickstarter updates now, and it really makes for hard reading because they're stuck. They're really stuck. These are small, independent publishers that have made a game. Maybe it's their first game, and they've, they've done the game, and it did well on Kickstarter, and because of the current shipping crisis in the, in the world, they can't ship it. I mean, and, and, and I'm, I'm seeing the reality of the situation, okay? I'm seeing, let's take, for example, I'm, I'm a, I've, I've got a game, and I put a game, and I put it on Kickstarter, and I made 100 grand, and everybody thinks, Paul's just made 100 grand. I haven't made 100 grand. I've already spent, well, first of all, 10 of that goes to Kickstarter, so I've now got 90. I've been working on this game for two years. I've already paid the artist five grand. I've already paid people to do Kickstarter previews. So it's already cost me 25 grand. I've already had pre-production. It's already cost me 30 grand. Then I've got to produce the game. So out of that 100 grand, which I've made on Kickstarter, I'm probably going to see 10 grand. Maybe 15 for two years work, right? And then we get to shipping. I now suddenly find that it's going to cost me $800 per, or is it $8,000 per container instead of $800? Well, I can't, I, I literally can't afford that. There are some publishers right now who simply cannot afford to pay the shipping costs. So yeah, it, 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 it's crazy. It is crazy uh, at the moment. What's also weird and I'm, I'm so glad I'm not a publisher. Every morning I wake up and, and, I'm, and I'm glad that I'm not a publisher. Because if you are a publisher and you are about to put a game on Kickstarter right now, what do you do? Now, wasn't there a game that went, um, Shem Phillips' latest game from Graphville Games, went on Kickstarter earlier on, was it today or yesterday? Which is funded in like two seconds or something crazy. Um, I, I haven't read fully what he's doing about it, but this is the thing. If you are going on Kickstarter right now, and you are talking about shipping costs right now, this morning, right? We are in su such uncertain times at the moment. I, I don't know. I really don't know how publishers right now can tell people what the shipping costs are going to be because it's just crazy. If you have backed a game and it's going to be delayed because of the shipping crisis, please don't get angry. It's not their fault. They can't, literally can't afford it. You've got hundreds of other games to play. Just, 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 just wait. You, you will get it. You will get it eventually. Um, right, I think that's it. Let's wrap things up. What's for dinner? Beef stew? Okay, beef stew for dinner. I'm going to have some dinner. And then at 8 o'clock, I will be back with Marvel Champions Patreon-only stream. So, keep an eye out on the Slack channel. I will be posting a link there, and I'll be going live at 8 o'clock. As I say, I'm playing my Ant-Man deck. I don't know who I'm going to play against, and I might play two games. We will see how we get on. But tonight is me relearning how to play. Um, Scott is saying, Earthbound Rangers seems to be trying to do regional manufacturing. Interesting. Yeah, maybe, maybe there are some different things that we can do without getting everything made in China. Maybe. Maybe we need to start thinking outside the box a bit. Um, but anyway, we'll wrap things up. Thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters for making this video possible. 
Thank you very much to Games Law for giving me £25 worth of vouchers. Don't forget to join the BGG Guild. As I say, if you join the BGG Guild, it's your guild. Feel free to post on there. Caroline, if you're listening, go onto the guild, post that question about what games, two to three player battle games, uh, are good for your 14-year-old son. Um, yeah, join the Patreon campaign if you want to support me and support the channel. What am I giving away a copy of this month? On Mars. On Mars, the Alien Invasion expansion. So yeah, as well as the £25 giveaway, I actually do a monthly giveaway for one of my Patreon supporters at producer level or higher. Last month, I gave away a copy of Anachrony. This month, I'm giving away a copy of On Mars, uh, the Alien Invasion expansion. So if you're a Patreon supporter of mine, that one you automatically get into, entered into. The £25 voucher, you need to click on the link in the form in order to enter that one. So yeah, good luck if you enter that. Um, yeah, I'll see you on the uh, Marvel Champions later on. And if you're not around later on for Marvel Champions, I will see you Friday for Underwater Cities or Friday night for Marvel Champions or Saturday for Star Wars Outer Rim or Saturday night for Undaunted North Africa or Sunday for Lock and Load Tactical Digital. There you go. Lots coming up and lots more to look forward to next month. Until next time, take care. And thanks for watching. Gaming Rules is proudly sponsored by Game Toppers, upgrading your gaming experience. Visit GameToppersLLC.com.